Again, our new, well, at least the message for today. We have had a theme this morning about seeking, seeking God. And so we will begin with this passage that I'll read from Jeremiah that Tony will be speaking on amongst other ones. It says in Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kevin. This passage from the Old Testament uh, from the prophet Jeremiah was written uh, more than 500 years before Christ. And it is actually the, the verse that we have been using this year to organize our worship and our thoughts and our direction as a church. Because in a a troubled world, in a troubled time, it is good to remind ourselves that God is on his throne, that the world is unfolding just as it should, that God has a plan, even even though uh, our lives, our individual lives, yours and mine, uh, our country, our world might seem chaotic. God is on his throne, the world is unfolding just as it should. There is a plan. But it's not just a hand-me-down plan, a master plan that we are blindly following. When you look at the words here, for I know the plans I have for you, they have a particular meaning and resonance. You know, they originally, these words were written in Hebrew. Hebrew is a very ancient language. And it has shades of meaning a complexity of meaning that our more specific English does not. And so you have to look at the words to understand what they mean. Where it says, I know, this is not head knowledge. This is the I know of intimacy. This is the word used for the relationship of husband and wife. It is an intimate engagement, an intimate embrace, an intimate knowledge. Plans not just blueprints or designs, but art. There is a creativity, imagination, and invention in God's plans. God is intimately involved with us and the world, and those plans are creative. They're uh, really a dialogue, uh, an interplay, an interweaving. In fact, the word that's there I have for you is literally the word for weaving. It is the word for somebody plaiting their hair. So when God has plans, when God makes plans, he doesn't just hand them down. God interacts intimately with each of us. And as we are obedient to him and his purpose, as we do his will rather than our will, as we become intimately connected to God in our prayer, in our worship, in our obedience to his call, as we get to know him and his plans and his story, we become with God the writer of our own stories. Christianity is not like other religions or philosophies. Christianity does not teach that we have karma or a fate, some uh, implacable, unchangeable 
reality that we're just going to live out and there's nothing that we can do about it. Christianity says that our lives, our decisions, in our relationship with God, can change the world because we are in relationship with the one that created the world. And really that is the story of Christmas, how the one who wrote and is writing the great story of the world, human history, is also the one who has entered into the world, the one who with us and with his people is rewriting the story of the world. How can that be? How can things change if God is omnipotent? That means he has all the power that there is and all the knowledge that there is. He's omniscient. And that God knows what is going to happen. How can it be that we're not locked into karma or fate? How can our lives be free? How can our decisions have meaning? The only way it can be possible if someone, some power, from outside the human story, outside of history, enters into that story, into that history, a new character, a new life, a new power, a new beginning, a new source of knowledge that comes from the outside of the story of the book of the world. And that's the Christian story. We just celebrated it this Christmas. Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ, God, creator of all things, incarnate, that means taking on a human body and entering into our world. The word became flesh. God becomes one of us and enters into our story. But then what happens next? You know, for the four Sundays of Advent, we looked at the Christmas story, but here as we think about the new year, what happens next? And to help us think about that, I put the text up there for Matthew, which tells us what happened next. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After Jesus was born, we'll see later in this passage, based on what Herod said and did, this is probably two years after Jesus was born. Herod, a worldly power, one of the tyrants, one of the bloodthirsty tyrants who has written and is writing the history of the world, he was installed by the Roman Empire, talks to the Magi. Really, you can think of the Magi as the apex at that time of worldly wisdom. The word Magi means it's a caste of priests in Babylon who tried to interpret the stars, tried to interpret events in the world by studying the stars and the movement of the planets. 
Jesus is born into a world dominated by people like Herod, filled with people like the Magi who are trying to figure out what everything is about. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Disturbed has the sense of threat or doom or fear. And this was a problem because Herod was a particularly bloodthirsty tyrant. He had a large family with many wives and sons, and he repeatedly slaughtered wives and sons that he thought might be plotting to take over his throne. There's a Roman uh, historian, Josephus, and he has this extraordinary quote from uh, Caesar Augustus, who was a Caesar at the time, the leader of the Roman Empire. And he says this about Herod. I would rather be a pig in Herod's household than one of his sons. Herod was notorious as a slaughterer of members of his family and the people he ruled over. When he, Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Quote, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. In Bethlehem, in Judea, a specific and particular time and place, this is where God will enter into the human story, enter into our world, become one of us, draw close to us. And the prophet has written, the prophet here, the quote, is from Micah in the Old Testament. He was a prophet about 700 odd years before Jesus. There are no surprises in the Christian story, in the story of Jesus. God has a plan for the world. It was revealed 700 years before Jesus showed up. This is not an accident. Jesus' birth was not an accident. And it is part of the unfolding of God's plan for the whole world. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. The Magi do find Jesus. They, uh, they show up. They do worship. They offer the gifts. They uh, are there with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. But then God intervenes. He knows what's in Herod's heart. He knows the evil of the world, and he sends the Magi away without talking to Herod. And he warns Jesus and his family, well, he warns Mary and Joseph about Herod's intentions and sends them down to Egypt. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Kill all the boys, two years old and under. 
you imagine the horror of that event in Bethlehem and all the villages around it? Soldiers coming in, dragging children out of houses and slaughtering them in front of the family and everybody. This is how human beings write history. Raw power, self-interest, fear, bloodshed. This is the history of the world under human power, human wisdom. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That was 500 years before these events took place. There were no accidents. God knows what the human heart is. God knows how people behave towards each other. And God's plans will not be thwarted by the wickedness of the human heart. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He survives and thrives. As the New Testament tells us, he will call together disciples. He will found the Christian church. His message and the ideals and the will of his father become the will of all Christians, the Christian church. It is the reason that we are here. The Christian church is not the product of human cleverness, human planning, human skill. It is the product of God, through Christ, entering our broken world and beginning to rewrite and renew the history of our world. It is a changing, a rewriting of the human story. So what does that have to do with us this morning? Well, we're about to start a new year. Think about that, by the way, 2020. Uh, I was born in the 60s. 2020 is, was an unimaginable date in the future. By now, we should have had flying cars and be living on Mars. But it's happened. Next week, we're going to be in 2020. How are we going to live? What are we going to think? What are our plans? What promises and vows are we going to make on New Year's Eve? Well, think about these two passages. What have we learned? We've learned from Jeremiah that God has a plan for his people. This plan is not a plan imposed from on high, but is a partnership, a dialogue a dance between God and his people. There's a creativity to it. There's a mutuality to it. There's an invention, a weaving together when you get involved in God's plan, God's will. What have we learned from Matthew? That this plan is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. A new character has entered the world, entered the, the story of the world, the history of the world from outside. A new character, a new life, a new way of living, a new beginning. 
so that when we, when Christians, honor our relationship with Jesus Christ as we begin to enter this new story, we begin the process of rewriting the story of the world. These ideas, by the way, are beautifully captured. It's the reason I put this passage up here. We're going to sing this in a moment. A little town of Bethlehem. A little town of Bethlehem. Remember? That's where it begins. The specific time and place. The beginning of the new story. How still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. What is that light? It's the light of the Creator. The one who said, in the beginning, let there be light. And who says, through Christ, let there be light again. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years. The hopes, everything good. Everything that we could hope for ourselves, our families, and the world. The best that could be. Our fears, everything based on human history that can go wrong. A history shaped by human fear and raw power and bloodshed and threat. Greed. There are two possibilities going forward. Which story are you part of? The new story brought into the world by Christ or the old story based on fear? That is the decision that Jesus confronts us with. It is the reason why he is the center of history. You have a choice. I have a choice. As we think about 2020. We can stay and keep our fears to ourselves. Try to ignore our fears. Try to solve them. Cling to hopes. Live in doubt and frustration. Unsure about which is winning. The way the world is going. Or you can embrace this Christian message. That the new story is here in the person of Christ, and that through him the future is being rewritten. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Let me go back to Jeremiah 29. This is, as I said, the theme of our year. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's mainly what we've been talking about this fall. But it continues. You will seek me, sorry, verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There is a plan. God is at work in the world. God's story is being written. God's kingdom is advancing. God's will is being done. 
And we are invited to be part of that new story, part of that kingdom, part of the people who say, thy will be done, not my will be done. How do we become part of that plan? How do we align our lives with that story? We pray. We seek God and we pray. And prayer, um, some people think that prayer is just worrying in God's presence, but that's not what prayer is. Prayer is an encounter, a dialogue, a relationship. Prayer is being thankful for what you already have. Prayer is asking questions. One of the most powerful pieces of advice I was given as a Christian uh, on a retreat, a Jesuit priest said, Never pray unless you've written down a question. Write it at the top of a piece of paper or in a book or a new page. And as you pray, ask God that question. As you read the Bible, ask that question. And see what the answer is. Prayer is asking questions. Asking for counsel. Asking for practical advice. For guidance. Bringing to God a problem and asking for that specific problem. Well, what is the way forward, Lord? How should I think about this? What can I do? And not just talking. It's a dialogue. There must be an honest dialogue and prayer silence so that we can hear God's answer, so that we can hear him answer the questions we bring to him. Right before Jesus uh, went to the cross, he prayed for his disciples. This is in the Gospel of John. And he made a promise to them. The Holy Spirit, he said, I will give to you. That's why I'm going to heaven. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is all about. And he said this, when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will tell you, the Holy Spirit, what is yet to come. He will share God's plan with you, personally, if you ask. When is the last time you even tried that to ask that question? Is there space in your prayers to ask that question? When you think about your hopes and your fears for 2020... Jesus promises, if you ask him in prayer, the Holy Spirit will tell you about what's going to happen, how to prepare, how to live and breathe and thrive no matter what happens, because God has a plan. You will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It is a remarkable promise. So, there are relatively few of us today. By the way, welcome those of you from other churches. Uh, It's great to have you here. We are one church, after all. It's appropriate that we are together today. We're going to do something different. You'll notice a bowl up here. I am going to invite you to use the index cards that you find around you. Look for one right now.
There should be a pen. If you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. And what's going to happen is we're, we're going to take an offering. Then we are going to have a period of time when I invite each of you to write down your hopes and fears for 2020. Do that anonymously. I mean, if you really want to put your name on it, feel free. But Because other people are going to pray for you. What we're going to do is after you've written that down, I'm going to invite everybody up to the table. We're going to stand around this table, and we're going to serve each other the Lord's Supper. And you're going to bring up your index card, and you're going to put it in this bowl. At the end of the service, I'm going to invite people, anybody, to take one, at least one card, and promise to pray for the, the hopes and the fears, the requests on that card, at least once in the coming year. I'm going to suggest you put it in your Bible, and you pray for it more than once. Any cards that are not taken, our diaconate has committed to taking them and praying for them this year. And then, you know that your hopes and fears have been presented to God this year. So let me remind you what we're going to do. We're going to receive an offering. You are going to fill out your cards, hopes and fears. The fact that it's a small card suggests that there should be relatively short prayers, right? Be bold, be biblical, be brief in your prayers. I will then invite everybody up to this table. We're going to do the Lord's Supper together. You're going to put your index card in the, in the bowl. At the end of the service, as we are dismissed, I'm going to invite you to take at least one card with you. Because you're giving these prayers, your hopes and fears to somebody else, be careful about putting your name on it. If you really want to put your name on it, feel free. But remember, a stranger is going to take your hopes and fears away. So it's probably best not to put your name on the card. All right? God knows who you are. God will answer your prayers. Does this make sense? You got an index card, you got a pen. You're going to bring this up after you put your hopes and fears on it and put it in the bowl. We're going to do the Lord's Supper together. Everyone is going to take a card away and commit to praying at least once for these prayers this upcoming year. All right. We're now going to receive an offering. Let me pray briefly, and then we'll receive the offering, and then we'll go to the Lord's table. Lord, you promise that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide us into all your truth. He will counsel us. He will teach us, and he will tell us what is yet to come. Lord, meet our hopes and fears for 2020. Show us the truth of these words. Teach us, Lord, through your Spirit, how to pray, how to call on you, how to live in obedience to your purpose for our life. And Lord, we thank you that Christ showed on the cross that it all begins with your forgiveness. It all begins with you paying the price of everything that we do wrong in advance. What an amazing, amazing gift. Lord, we offer ourselves to you as we prepare ourselves to come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.